0: All right, guys, have a seat. Have a seat. Welcome to H2O Summer Edition. Good to have you guys. I am Daniel. I'm on staff here, and I am going to introduce our speaker for the morning. So, Aaron Whitaker is going to be bringing the word this morning. Aaron has been involved in our church for a little while. Uh, This past year, he stepped up in the role of a point person in a life group and did an amazing job. And in fact, he is planning on coming on staff and start support raising in the fall, so we're excited about that um, and so if you would like to Aaron's going to come up he's going to give us the word this morning, so welcome him, give him a, give him a hand. let's go <laughs> All right, is this thing working this thing on? All right cool. yeah, what's up? Um, I'm Aaron um, man, I'm, I'm just really pumped to be here. I've, I've kind of envisioned this for a while, um, especially over the past year, like you said, being a point person, being a leader, I've envisioned this this moment of being able to get in front of people and speak. And that's kind of wild to me because I wasn't always this way. Um, I've, I've, and, I'm, and I'm still a little scared, I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, I've always hated public speaking. I've always hated getting in front of crowds and, and being in front of crowds and doing this type of thing. But um, I think that's just kind of a testament um, to just god 's work in my life and, and how God has taken me from, from a scared little kid who actually cares so much about what other people think to putting me in front of people um, and able to preach his word and i 've just kind of kind of come to the conclusion that i don 't really care how I, how I talk, how I speak, whether it 's smooth or anything. I just care whether I preach god 's word and whether god 's glorified in this. Um, so with that being said, I kind of wanted to start with a, with a paraphrase version of uh, someone who I really look up to, a a really well-known speaker named Paul Washer. During one of his, or before one of his most famous sermons, he said something along the lines of this. It was really elongated, so I condensed it down. He said, if what I tell you today is not true, then I will be judged harshly for it, and I accept that. But if what I say is true, then it is like it is coming from God himself, since I am merely teaching his word. Um, So I ask you guys to just kind of Take that for what it is. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people can see just a 22-year-old student up here and, and just write them off. Um, and maybe it's fair, but um, you know, being in a speaking position, um, preaching God's word in this setting, I just want you to take it as, uh, you know, come to the conclusion of whether it's true, and if it's true, take it as though the Holy Spirit is speaking through me and God is speaking to you in that manner. Uh, so with that being said, I'm just going to start in prayer. Yeah, God, Um, Lord, I just thank you for this time. I just thank you that we're able to come and and meet together as a big group with no fear of persecution, um, with no fear uh, of people coming, busting through the door and and harming us, God, that that you've put us in this situation. Um, I just pray that you would be glorified today, God, that, that we would worship you. um, God, that we would get to know you more. I pray that you only give us ears to listen. God, I pray you speak through me. um, God, that that I would be forgotten in this and that you would be the only person remembered here today. Um, Father, I just pray that your will be done in this situation and uh, that, that we'll just all leave worshiping you more. Amen. All right, so today I want to talk a little bit about God's glory. Uh, So, first I feel like we have to define God's glory, because I I think it's kind of a difficult thing to define. There's no uh, Merriam-Webster kind of dictionary version of of the the definition of God's glory. The the Bible talks a lot about it, but doesn't specify. So, for the purpose of uh, this teaching, I want to use the definition of God's glory as the public display of God's infinite worth and His holy qualities. All right, so we're going to kind of talk about how that's applicable, uh, what does that mean, why does it matter. So we're going to start and kind of work our way through the book of Colossians. We'll jump around a little bit, but mostly work our way through the book of Colossians. Um, but before we do that, I want to give some background uh, into Colossians, because I feel like it's very important, especially, like I said, if I'm in a teaching setting, I want to be able to to know what was going on uh, in the situation in, the, in this book of the Bible. So Colossians is one of the many books of the New Testament written by Paul. Um, so Paul wrote this for the church at Colossae, but um, that was, it was around modern-day Turkey, and it was about 100 miles away from Ephesus in that day. And that's important because a lot of people think that, or I just kind of assumed that Paul planted this church just because he plants a lot of churches, and that's what Paul does. But uh, it was actually planted and actually founded by a name, a man, words, Man named Epaphras. Uh, And the belief is that Epaphras went. He was saved during Paul's missionary journey in Ephesus. And he went 100 miles away to the city of Colossae and founded this church, which is a cool story in itself, just the idea of of disciples making disciples and and going on in that way. But unfortunately, like many of Paul's letters, uh, there's a problem. And, And the problem is that there was a heresy spreading amongst the church it was a young church, obviously. The idea of Christianity in this time was fairly new, so people didn't have the Bible to refer to. People could be deceived easily. And, and heresy is just a fancy word for a deviation of the church's historical teachings on foundational doctrine. Um, so heresy is thrown around a lot, but th- that's the idea that you want to think of when you, when you think of heresy. And the two heresies that were kind of being uh, combined to, to deceive the church was a combination of Jewish legalism and Gnosticism. And if you don't know what Gnosticism is, because I didn't when I first read that, uh, it's basically the belief that the world was created by imperfect spirit, that salvation is achieved by gnosis, which is a a fancy word for knowledge, and that Jesus was sent to deliver this gnosis or knowledge. Uh, And and obviously, that's a a stark deviation from the actual gospel, uh, and, and that's a big problem. So uh, he, he realized this, he went on a journey to see Paul, who was in Rome in jail at the time, and, and Paul wrote this letter for him to take back to his church. So we're going to start Colossians 1, uh, or Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It'll be on the board, or you can open up and, and read with us. Um, so this is what it says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything, in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things that we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds together all creation. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. All right. So my first point, I want to set a baseline knowledge. I want I want us to all be on the same page here going forward, lay a good foundation. So my first point is just going to be simply Christ is God and God the creator. All right, so we're going to find this throughout the passage, but specifically in verses 15 and 16. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. So we see a a pretty common pattern throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the the book about God, that God's going to, Gonna let us know that he's the creator. So we're going to go through a little bit in Genesis 1, verse 1, pretty famous. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. All right, so he just he lays it, first verse, this book's about me, I made this all. Uh, and then later in, in the chapter, uh, Genesis 126, we're introduced to, an, to the idea that God may not be one singular being, that, that there might be something different going on. So Genesis 126, it says, let us make human beings in our image. Right, so R is plural in that sense. R, R, He's he's saying there may be more. And if you read further on in the Bible, uh, you, you figure out that R is referring to the Trinity. It's referring to, to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It, it's three distinct beings all coming together to equally create God. Right, so that, that's pretty easy. I, I want to lay this foundation because, one, I want us to, to know and, and think about that the church at Colossae was going through this deception of, you know, Paul had to write this because they didn't know this, Um, and I think we kind of just go along uh, in our happy lives, and and we don't always remember little stuff like that God is creator. I think it's easy to to get freaked out some days and and just not understand God is in control, Um, so I want to lay this foundation for that, and I also want to set a clear understanding of who God is, and specifically uh, just for this teaching who Jesus is, which we'll kind of get to later, Um, and so My second point, I just want to say that God made creation for his own glory. So this is kind of where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. This is kind of the the main message I want to get across is that God made everything for his glory, which means the overarching purpose of creation and everything that goes on within creation is for the spread of God's glory. And remember, that's going to be the public display of God's infinite worth and holy qualities. So it says in verse 16, at the end of verse 16, it says, everything was created through him and for him. This says pretty easy. But, but later on in the chapter, I think it, it gets a little bit more in-depth into it. And it says, uh, so it says in verses 25 through 27, chapter 1 of Colossians, it says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. So Paul is telling, trying to tell these Gentiles, these people who had, who had not previously... Been opened up to the idea of, of God wanting them, of God being able to live inside of them. He's saying, This is going to change your life, that, that Christ wants to live in you, and because of that, you can share in his glory. You, you can marvel at it and you can share in it. Both now, you'll get a glimpse of it on earth, but later, you'll, you'll see his full glory in heaven. And um, so, just in case you aren't conv- completely convinced, I think this is kind of a cult- countercultural idea that God is for his own glory. I think people. And at least me and a lot of this is, is stuff that I've learned over the the past year. or So, um, just that God is about His glory, it kind of made me think that He was selfish a little bit. I was like, God, like, you love me, like, you know, like, uh, it just didn't suit right with me. Um, you know, it's someone who's supposed to love me. You're not know, supposed to care about themselves, right? Um, but just to kind of kind of paint a picture of where God's priorities are, we're going to take a little trip through a couple other scenes in the Bible. Um, and just kind of give you an idea of, of how God is about his glory. So, like, like many times, you're going to start with creation. Uh, so, in Psalms 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. All right, so, all of creation is made to just proclaim God's glory and God's power and God's might. I mean, it's not necessarily made. We we can enjoy it. We're made to enjoy it, but it's not made for us to just use and take what we can from it. We're we're supposed to see creation, and we see everything around us, and we just see God, and we just see how much, how just how creative He is, and and how wonderful He is, um, and, and painting just a picture for us to see. Um, so. Moving on a little bit, we're gonna look at uh, we're gonna look at the Exodus, and this is it's one of the the biggest events in in early Israel's history. Uh, it's where God delivered His people uh, just from from Egypt. They were enslaved there, um, and so up to the point that we're gonna be reading, God has delivered His people. He has He sent the ten, the ten plagues. Uh, he's, he's debilitated Egypt to the point to where Pharaoh is saying, get out. Well, I don't want you here. I, I was keeping you as slaves, but, but get the heck out. I don't want you anymore. And so, uh, you know, the, the Israelites are moving. Moses gathered them up. They're moving in one direction. And then God, right, right here, when he's going to tell him he's going to say, Moses, go that way. I have a plan. He said, turn around, take the people another way. I, I got something going on here. So that's where we're going to pick up. It's going to be Exodus 14, verses 3 and 4. So it says, Then Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are confused, and they are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. All right, so God was right, as usual. And uh, so the, the Egyptians came after him. They stuck in the wilderness, and they came after him. And at this point, we're going to move forward in the chapter a little bit. And the Israelites are standing at the foot of the Red Sea. They don't know what to do. Um, and this is, this is what God tells them. He says, and I will harden the hearts. This is verses 17, 18, by the way. He says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Right, so if you know the story, you know that God splits open the Red Sea. just like this little bad boy right here. Uh, the Israelites walk straight through it as, as the Egyptians are chasing them. And right as the last Israelite gets through and the Egyptians are, are, are in the pit of the Red Sea, God collapses it down, wipes out the entire army, destroys them all, and delivers his people. Uh, and so if you think about it to the beginning of the chapter, this is a very intentional thing by God. It would have been very easy for God to just continue to lead the Israelites through wherever he was, and, and it would have been easy. No one, he wouldn't have even had to destroy the the Egyptian army. He it wouldn't have had to happen like that. So I think when I first read this story, I I, I was a little mad. I was like, hey, like I understand, like the Egyptians, like they kind of sucked, but like I don't, like why'd you have to do that? Like that's a little extra. And so, um, and so I thought about it for a little bit, and, and God God kind of spoke to me. and told me and he wanted me to consider a few things. Uh, so so first. Pharaoh and his army had plenty of opportunities to repent and come back to God. Um, he had had his whole life up to that point to do it. Not only that, God made it very clear to him who he was. Um, and, and through the ten plagues that he had just destroyed his country, Pharaoh had the opportunity long before God hardened his heart. He had hardened his heart against God. And that's something that, that we have all done and until we come to Jesus. We have hardened our hearts against God. Um, so So, that brings me to, to the second kind of realization through this is that sinners deserve to be punished by God, and it's an idea that I think a lot of people don't like, um, but, but every second that a sinner is not struck down and punished for their sin in this moment, that, that's an act of mercy by God, and a lot of people don't see it that way, but, but it's an act of mercy because God is saying, my will is for you to be saved. My will... It is for you to be in community in communion with me. So I'm going to I'm going to withhold my wrath, which is not an easy thing for God to do, but I'm going to withhold my wrath from you just to give you an opportunity to, to come to me. So so in that and since that is mercy, since he is withholding that and since God is just the all-powerful judge, he he is the creator that he is, uh, any time that God decides to execute his judgment on sin and, and pour down his wrath on sin, is 100% he's justified for. And, and we like to sit here and raise our angry fist at God. Oh, God, why'd you do that? It's like, who are we to tell God that he cannot execute his judgment when, when just the fact that there are billions of sinners right now alive is, is taking a toll on God? It's saying, I, I, God is saying, I need to execute this wrath, but I'm not going to do it just to give you the opportunity to come to me. Uh, and, and then the last thing that you can pull from this is that God did spread his glory. He did what he said he was going to do. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. So you can guarantee that the rest of the world heard about the God of the Israelites completely obliterating the most powerful army in the world by raising up a sea and dropping it on them. You know, like, like they, they don't have like social media back then, but you know like people heard about that. Uh, and, and that is something that when people hear that that is what the God of the Israelites do, that is something that brings glory to God, and it, and it highlights his power. Um, so another example of God being about his glory and doing things for his glory is when he showed grace for the sake of his glory. This is going to be found, we're going to read Psalms 106, verses 6 and 7. So it says, our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds, they soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled at the Red Sea. Even, though, even so, he saved them to defend his honor of his, the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. All right, so here God is talking about the many times that he saved the Israelites and, and they, he talks about the Red Sea. Uh, and, and just throughout Israel's history, there, there's this constant cycle of Israel sins against them. Israel gets in a real bad situation and then they, they come back to God, and God saves them. Um, and it's just a continuous cycle that, that does not end for them. And, and so it's saying, God is saying, I, I continue to save you, not because you deserve it, but because I, I'm doing it so that everyone will know of, about me, and everyone will know that I am loving in, in the face of my own people, spinning in my face, and I'm, I'm loving despite everything. And, and I am all-powerful I'm all despite this big, scary Egyptian army. Um, He's, he's displaying his holy qualities through his grace in, in that case. Uh, but my favorite example of God doing something for his glory, and this is going to bring us into, into my third point, is that Christ bought us so that we could experience his glory. So if you, if you still are convinced, we're going to look at Colossians 2, verse 14. It, it lays it out pretty simply, but, but pretty cool says he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So, so Christ died so that we would be able to have access to his glory. And, and, and that access, it's not even guaranteed that all people would do that. No, it, it's just for the, for the chance. God knew that many, many people would take this gift and they would say, forget you and, and walk the other way despite the gift that he's trying to give them. But when you understand the magnitude of, of Jesus' suffering, just to give people that opportunity, I, I think it puts it in a new perspective. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm all about like, people symbolizing the cross as something awesome, but, but I think when we look at the cross, we have to consider what happened on the cross. I mean, it was brutal. I don't know if you've ever watched Passion of the Christ, um, but it, it's a pretty strong depiction of, of, of just the physical punishment that Jesus under, uh, underwent for our sake. And that's not even to consider that he bore God's wrath for every single person that's ever lived, that ever will live, that's living right now. He bore that punishment of God's wrath. And we've seen that God's wrath is no joke. And, and he took that for every single person. Um, so I think when, when we look at the cross, it's great to, to, to think about that, but just be reminded about how much Jesus went through for you, and and, and so, what now? How, how can we repay that? How can we, how can we live in that? Um, so, kind of looking at what now, we're going to look at Colossians chapter three, uh, verses one through eleven. So it says, "Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven." where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you share in all of his glory. So put to death the sinful things lurking within you and have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and, lust and evil desires, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is, is an idolater, worshiping the things of this, of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time for you to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and, its, and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us. So this passage has a lot to unpack, and we're going to kind of try to do it in a different way. Um, It has a lot of commands on what not to do. Um, but I think sometimes commands on what not to do get taken uh, a little bit less they they get considered less uh, people don 't like to be told not what not to do they like to they like to do things uh, and so we 're going to go through three takeaways of, of what to do uh, following this passage in Colossians three. So the first thing is going to be do seek the kingdom of God so this is found. In, in verses 1 through 4, uh, in verse 1 it says, Set your sights on the realities of heaven and to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Right, so this is referring to God and his glory. This is referring to, you hear people say a lot, having a kingdom mindset. Uh, and, and what I think that looks like is, is just understanding that, that the, the earth is full of sin and the earth is full of death, but one day that's not going to be the case. One day, if you are covered by Jesus, if you are if you are saved by Jesus, we're gonna live in a place where there is no sin, there is no suffering, there is no pain. It is gonna be. I mean, no one really knows what heaven's gonna be like, but I like the picture as a big old party where we're all just like we're worshiping God, we're high five and chest bumping, doing some fun stuff. Um, but no, it's just gonna be like. It, I, I, I truly think that it's hard. To, to live a, a life without joy if you consider where you're going. If you understand, if you're about to go on a vacation, you're hyped about it for a while. Like You get excited, you start thinking about it because you know that vacation's going to rock. Well, I don't want to say heaven's going to be a vacation, but it's going to be a lot better than a vacation. Um, and so I think seeking first the kingdom is a, is a way for, for us who are in Jesus to, to walk with him, and, and it's to, it, we're able to go out in, through our, in and out throughout our days um, just with a, a joy that, that is just excited about seeing the glory of God at his fullness. And so the second thing, second do that we're going to take away is going to be do take pleasure and joy in the glory of God. So this kind of goes along the same way, um, but in verse 5 it lists a bunch of things that we should not do. Like I said, so sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Um, the, the thing I think they all have in common is that they're all things that we try to place as pleasures in our life. It, we, we use these things, um, and, and I can attest personally, we use these things to, to fill a void in our hearts that only God can fill. And so when we use these to fill a void, it it creates nothing but, but sadness and destruction and letdown. But, but when we seek to be fulfilled by Jesus and, and when we take pleasure and joy in the glory of God and who he is, that, that changes us because the glory of God is not going to let us down. That, that's why God cares so much about us being in the presence of his glory is because he knows everything else will let us down, but this will not let us down. And so everything that we're attached to, that is earthly, whether it be your your job, your your physique, a relationship, like everything, will let down at some point. But but taking pleasure and joy in the glory of God will, will give you. The opportunity to, to walk through life with an abundant joy that will not fail. And, and there may be sadness, there, there may be, like I said, the earth is evil. There will be sin and death, and there will be all these awful things. But that allows us to walk through these with just the knowledge of one day it's going to be set right. And, and I think of Philippians 4 8 when I think of uh, just kind of the, the internal things that, that we deal with. It says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. So the last thing that I'm going to say, uh, our last do that that we're going to look at is do show the world the love and grace that God has shown you. So it says in verses 8 and 9, a couple actions, again, Paul says not to do like anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And, and, and unlike the list above, which is more, more internal, these are things that affect other people. And these are things that often come up when, when we feel that we've been wrong, or we feel that, that someone deserves said behavior, someone deserves my anger to, to, to feel my wrath, to do this or that. But I think it puts it into perspective when we consider how wrong how how much we have wronged God. Like, no one has wronged you to the extent that you have wronged God. And God's response to you wronging him more than, than you could ever fathom is, is dying for you. And we can take it for granted, but just a constant reminder of, of how ridiculous and countercultural that idea is, that, that, God could have very easily and, and, and justly destroyed us all for, for committing treason against him. But instead, he laid down his life for us. Um, so I think the only response that, that we can do to that is showing others that love and grace. I think that's, that's the only right response. And, and not only is there a right response, um, but I think it, it glorifies God. It, it does the the job of if we're living to glorify God, loving someone and showing someone grace in the, in the face of opposition or in, in the face of someone wronging you that that exemplifies god's qualities more than maybe anything else so I think that's kind of that's just something that we can consider and it's one of the biggest ways that we can be good stewards and good liaisons for God so one thing I want to I look at, uh, Matthew 7, real quick. Um, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at Jesus talking about how we can tell who is truly a follow, follower of him or not. So it's Matthew 7. First is going to be Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. So it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but in, inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do you think people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So Jesus here is referring to false prophets, and and I think we see that but I also think we can see it as a valuable use of a a Um, self-checkup. He says that that you'll know these false prophets by their fruits. You'll know them by their actions, um, because anyone can claim to be something. I can claim to be a pro golfer, but you see my swing, you know I'm not a pro golfer. So so if, if what you say does not coincide with what you're doing, it's very hard to believe that you are what you say you are. And so, so the next few verses are along the same lines, but they get a little bit more serious, and I, and I think they kind of raise the attention a little bit more. So it's going to be Matthew right below at Matthew 7 verses 21 through 23. It says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven, er, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform any miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Like, I think the first time I heard this passage preached on, I was like shaking in my seat. Um, and, and I don't think, I don't think that's, that's the purpose of this passage. I, I think just kind of picturing the scene, and, and this, is, this is just what I kind of see, that Jesus is, is giving this sermon, and, it, and he says the references above, uh, you know, about the, the good fruit and bad fruit, and, and I think he's trying to get a point across that he cares about our heart more than our actions. Um, but, but I think he has to get a little bit more serious and say, hey, some of you here, that are calling out to me. Uh, Lord, Lord is implying, isn't implying, like it is implying I know you. Is it Lord, Lord, I know you. Some of you who call out to me, some of you who prophesy in my name, who drive out demons in my name, who do all these wonderful things, you won't see the kingdom of heaven because, because your heart is not in the right place. He says, I never knew you. And so I I think he's telling. In our case, I think he's toying 21st century America. You're not saved by praying a prayer you know, in, in kids' church. You're not, you're not saved by coming to church every Sunday. Like, coming here is not what saves us. You know, we're, not, we're not saved by, by saying these things. We're saved by when, when we have an encounter with God, and through that encounter with God, we get a glimpse of the glory of God. God shows us who he is. And because he shows us who he is, we're able to have a, a reaction in us. God stirs up faith in our hearts that brings us to our knees, and, and, it, and it gives us the realization that, God, I need you. He, he tells us that, that, that I, we need God and that, and that we can't save ourselves. And through that encounter and the realization of faith, that changes your heart, and that is, what, that is the saving grace. And I love the fact that God decided to use faith as the way of salvation because you can't measure faith. You can't say, oh, I did faith today. You can't. And so it completely takes away the ability of us to say that we did anything to save ourselves. And I love that God did that. Um, but but we're able to just have this faith, and God stirs it up, and, and that heart change is what brings the fruit. It, it it's not the fruit that brings the heart change. You don't start doing things for God, and then and then this is, and then God gives you this. It is God creates that reaction within you. He and He shows you Himself, reveals His glory to you to a point to where you realize who He is, and in that we will naturally just want to glorify God. We will naturally want to do the will of the Father. Okay, but I'm not advocating for a performance-based faith. I just want to make it clear that this is, this is not something that, I'm not saying you can never sin again, because I know you will, um, and, and I'm not saying that everyone needs to walk out of here questioning whether they're saved or not. That, that's not at all what I'm trying to say. Uh, but, but I want us to take time to consider whether our fruits reflect what we say. You know, if, if you have, you know, follower of Jesus in your Instagram bio, like, do you, like, would people know it by what you post? Or, or, or would people know it, would know that you're a follower of Christ by, by what you say or what you do or how you treat people? Because um, ultimately, not only is that a reflection of us, it, it is a reflection of, of who we follow, but also, if we're walking around just acting, saying that we follow Christ, but just acting in any way possible, what does that tell the world? It says, oh, well, you can you just say you love Jesus, free get out, of hell, get out of hell free card, and you go live how you want. When, when in reality, the, the heart change is what produces that. It's not a, it's, the Bible is not a list of rules. It, it, it's a list of ways that we can live for Christ because that will create an abundant life for us. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we can do nothing to earn it, but despite all of that, Jesus paved the way. And I think that is a reason to praise God. So in closing, I want to I wanna read just one last thing. It's out of Psalms 96, 1 through 6. So it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds are among all peoples, for great is the Lord and worthy is his praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory glory are in his sanctuary." So after reading that and, and just in closing, I, I wanted to kind of steal something uh, from, from another really good speaker that I admire. Uh, if you guys know who Mark Vance is, he speaks a lot. Uh, he spoke at Beach, Beach a couple of times. Um, and, and something that he said at the end of one of his sermons really stuck with me. Um, and, and he said simply, you have the opportunity to worship the one who bought you from death. You, know, you have been raised from death to life, and now you have the opportunity. How you can, the, the way you can thank him, you can never do anything to repay it, but, but a way of giving thanks is by praising him. Um, and so if the band wants to come up, you guys can, can come get ready, but we're going to have the opportunity to do that through musical worship. And um, I, there is no cookie-cutter way to do this, but, but I just call you, wherever you're at, however you feel comfortable doing it, just praise God with everything you have. Don't, don't leave anything at the table. Don't, don't, don't be afraid of what other people think. Just praise God with, with everything you have. And, and in that, you, you will glorify God. Um, and, and, and that he will look down and he will be pleased. Um, so we're going to go ahead and pray. Jesus, again, we just, we just thank you for, for being able to be here, God. Um, thank you for, for your word and, and that you just yearn to have a relationship with us. God, thank you um, for dying for us, God. And it's something that I take advantage of every day and it's something that we all take advantage of every day. Um, It's just something that we can't thank you enough for. But Jesus, thank you in this moment for doing that. Um, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to everyone around in this room right now. God, make your presence known. Lord, speak to everyone here. God, tell them that that, that you want to have that relationship. Reveal yourself to them. Create that that stir reaction that produces a faith that radically changes our lives. God, in this time, I pray that just you would be glorified, you would be praised, uh, and that we would just walk out of here worshiping you to, to everyone we encounter. In your name I pray, amen.